0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. On the hindrances. Are you familiar with the hindrances, Julie? Great. And Susan, I think you are, too. You're familiar with the hindrances? Your on. Okay. Sage, you are? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the first week, um, the the twist of this class is, I'm talking about it kind of through at least partly the lens of the Wizard of Oz. So if you've seen the movie, great. If you haven't, uh, maybe I'll s- s- give enough of information to be able to have a, a little taste of it. So the first week we just spent talking about what the five hindrances are, and also. I kind of laid the groundwork for how the characters and the story uh, fit into a dharma context. Last week we talked about um, sensual desire or greed and aversion and ill will, and tonight we'll talk about restlessness and worry. So the next two you know weeks will be next week will be sloth and torpor, and the week after will be doubt. That'll be the final. And there are some things that Diana and I, who's not here tonight, but we'll be back next week, really want to kind of invoke and invite, kind of bring to this exploration is some lightness, some joy, some humor, um, to a topic that can be a little heavy, um, and that we can kind of have a, "Oh no, I'm having a hindrance, you know, response to." and they're really. You know, this is part of the human condition as far as we know it. These were named by the Buddha over 2,500 years ago. And really, we see pretty much the same, you know, issues today interfering with meditation. Nobody's come up with a new list of hindrances, you know. These work well enough, which is pretty remarkable. The other thing that we are kind of inviting you to think about is that they're actually can be thought of as energies. So, And the the energies impact the physical body. And so in some ways you can start to tune into the body and if you recognize one is a leaning toward, a leaning in, which you'll often find when you have some sensual desire getting kicked in doesn't have to be greed, you know, but if you want something, you tend to lean toward it. You like what somebody's saying, you know, or it, there's just this natural movement. And in contrast, the ill will, the aversion is either a pushing away of something or pulling back of oneself. So there's really, you know, if you just, you know, right, You know, this posture, that's a classic example of ill will in somebody's body. Um, So energy that wants, energy that doesn't want, doesn't like, right? And then we have um, restlessness and worry, which are essentially too much energy. Too much energy, restlessness in the body, so there's an inability to be still. Oh, yeah, you know, when you sit down to meditate, sometimes you just can't find a still point. And the body is just restless and agitated. Oh, sometimes that's so uncomfortable, right? And, and then the energy in the mind is what is worry. And worry is essentially worrying, wor- worrying, <laughs> you know, the this, this spinning energy, the going around and round. There's a simile that talks about water, ponds, and for each hindrance there's a simile for the water. For restlessness and worry, it's said it's like really intense wind going across the surface of the water. So there's impossible to see into the pond. The wind whips it all up. There's no stillness. So the absence of hindrance would be a clear pond, easily Transparent. You can see everything going on in there. It's said that greed is like adding, um, like, dye to the water. Maybe a red-colored dye, so that the the water takes on a kind of a it makes everything look different, right? The way that wanting something sort of like the idea of rose-colored glasses, right? Everything looks a little prettier somehow. And aversion or ill will is like water boiling, bubbling, you know, boiling, roiling, steam. It's, you can't look in. It's hot. It's dangerous. You know, there's no stillness. So these are similes from the suttas, from the Buddha, that describe also that, kind of this energetic quality. And the other kind of invitation we've had is to see hindrances as, as something that is like a veil. That, you know, if you pull the veil, you can't quite see through, right? So this is, again, this idea that it's covering something. It's hindering something. So this is why, in some ways, actually working with the hindrances, if you can recognize that it's there, it's like pulling the veil back. It's like... You know, sort of unhindering in a a way. It can be a direct path to clear seeing. So, um, last week we invited you guys to, um, before each meditation session, to kind of reflect on the things that you came up with in your discussion group. So there was a discussion group, which we'll have again tonight. And they talked about like the things that help them with um, working with greed or sensual desire and ill will, and they they talked about um, gratitude, generosity, joy, loving kindness, doing going to see arts, um, sitting in the park, right. So we um, invited you to just to reflect on those things and um, come on in, come sit with us, come on in, Jay. Um, we invited people to, You maybe you didn't even remember, didn't even process. Oh, you did? Okay. So, um, as a way to sort of help yourself kind of orient your mind in a useful kind of supportive direction before meditating. And what happened? Did you, how did it go, Cassandra? What did you notice? Do you mind sharing? Uh-huh. And we've got the mic because we're, we're, if you, In regards to like sitting in the park? No, before meditating uh-huh. this week. To reflect on these these things that you came up with last week, did you did you reflect be, every time you sat down to meditate beforehand? Did you reflect in this way? Sort of.
1: Great. Well, it was raining like all week, so I didn't really. So there was a lot of visualization going on that redirected me in my re- meditation um, in regards to all that. Okay. And then I noted I did notice a lot of more hindrances the last week. Ah. Uh, so that's good, I guess. That is good. Yeah. <laughs> that's
0: great. Thank you, Cassandra. Gus, do you want to say anything?
2: I didn't quite do that. And generally when I sit uh when I start it's going to be kind of a surprise. Yeah. I mean, I just sit as calm as I possibly can be and start and we'll see.
0: <laughs> Great.
2: Kind of like observing art.
0: We'll we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Well, I'll just say um that it's a way to incline the mind in a particular, you know, orient toward a particular state. So not that you're trying to... It's like metta, may I be happy, may you be happy. We're making a wish, we're invoking, inviting a connection with a state or way of being. So it can be a, a something to play with at some point, which is when you sit down to meditate, to drop... To kind of drop in reflections that have to do with either the um, Brahma Viharas or the, the um, ten paramis, right? The perfections, patience, gratitude, joy, all of those things. So it's um, just an invitation. Yeah. Did you want, yeah? Yeah, I
2: wanted to add something. So um, I do choose to meditate uh, where I can see a picture of the Buddha. Oh yeah exactly. And I always turn myself so that I'm actually
0: pointing mm. towards the
2: Buddha. I can't sit twisted. It has to be pointing towards the Buddha and that that seems to actually quite be quite helpful.
0: Yeah, and that is very much the, of the same idea. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things you can do which is to reflect on the Buddha before you meditate. It can really be profoundly uplifting for the heart in my experience. Yeah. All right. So um, does anybody, you know, have any questions or want any clarification at this point before I move into restlessness and worry more specifically? Okay. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the Wizard of Oz and how we might recognize the presence of restlessness and worry in that context. And I'm gonna start by referencing Dorothy while she was in Kansas. So the way that the movie starts is it's all around Dorothy and Toto, her dog. And um, there's this neighbor who's very angry because Toto goes and chases her cat, the neighbor's cat in the garden. And so this neighbor um, gets, is very angry and m- maybe mean, and, and um, yeah, mean. Um, and so Dorothy's very preoccupied because she's afraid that this woman, because she threatens to come take Toto away. In fact, she does. She comes and takes Toto away. And so Dorothy goes back to the farm um, where her she lives with her Aunt Em and Uncle Henry and then the farm help who all end up being characters in the movie. And she's trying to get Aunt Em and Uncle Henry to listen to her about her concerns that this neighbor's gonna come take Toto away. But they are tending to some baby chicks. And the the um, and so they're preoccupied with their worry about the baby chicks because the the warmer isn't working. And so they don't really stop to listen to Dorothy. They dismiss her concerns. So they're concerned and worried about the chicks and preoccupied. Dorothy's worried about Toto, right? And she feels like nobody's really listening to her, and um, she doesn't, you know, it's like sort of this sense of, I don't really belong here, people aren't really listening to me, and that grows in her. And um, and then the, the neighbor comes and takes Toto away, says so she's going to take him, I don't know, to some someplace. (laughs) And so Dorothy gets very distraught. Um, Toto escapes from the back of the basket of the bike of a neighbor. And so Dorothy actually runs away with Toto and Toto gets back. So there's a lot of, you know, worry and restlessness in all of this, right? Um, And then when we get into the Wizard of Oz, into the land of Oz, the first Companion that Dorothy makes is the straw man. And so the straw man, if you, it's really interesting because you, you wouldn't, so much, well, you see him and he moves, he's first tied up so he can't move, but he gets down and he's kind of like dancing and falling and all over the place. Like he can't find a sense of stability in his body. And so there's a lot of physical restlessness. And another interesting thing, if you look at him, is his emotional affect, his affect changes a lot. He'll go from sort of like, oh, to like this. You know, there's just this too much energy, like a, a huge swings of energy. So then they come, to, you know, man joins Dorothy. They continue on. The next character that they meet is the tin man, but after that they meet the lion. And the lion, um, you know, he he pretends to be a bully. He jumps out from the forest. We'll talk more about him. well, actually we won't. So he he's he's um hiding. He hears them come along and he like does this massive like jump out, like rawr, you know, this big lion and he's like what are you doing here? And he starts to bully the tin man and the straw man and sort of try, tries to start a fight and says, "Come on, hit me, hit me," you know, and he's doing all this stuff. And but then, you know, they're like cowering the tin man and the straw man. And then Toto jumps out from behind a tree. Dorothy's kind of hiding in the back with the tree with the dog. And the Toto jumps out and barks, and so then the lion goes after the t- Toto. Oh, Guess who confronts the lion? Dorothy does, right? She's going to come out and protect her little puppy. So, and she gets, you know, quite fierce and she kind of slaps a little, like hits his nose, you know? It's not exactly a slap in the face, but it's he, she definitely hit his nose. And he crumbles. The lion absolutely crumbles. You, he starts to cry. Why would you do that to me? You know, he's just. And and then he grabs his tail, and he's like, right? Like, do you remember this? Like, he just becomes a melty, sad mush and talks about he has no courage. So he's hidden behind bravado, his fear, his worry, right? So this is another way that we see, you know, restlessness and worry. And one thing I like about that is it's very often that people who are worried... And uncomfortable do present sort of overcompensate or try and you know project something other than what they're really feeling, or they swing because it's really none of it's stable when we're overdoing anything. So, so that's some ways that we see restlessness and worry in the in the Wizard of Oz. But anybody else have another example that they want to share or thoughts about that? Great. So I want to read you a little poem before I sort of talk from a Dharmic perspective about restlessness and worry. From the thinking about these characters, right? Dorothy is going to the Oz to get home. She wants to find a way home. The straw man is going because he doesn't think he has a brain. The tin man is going because he doesn't think he has a heart. And the lion is going because he doesn't have courage. So everyone is off to see the wizard to get something, to be fixed, because they're not whole, right? Okay. So for me, this little moderate-sized poem talks about this. It's called The Grand Predicament by Nick Askew. A fear of not belonging drives much of what We do and how we are. Unknowingly, it can define the experience of a life. Most of us live with an underlying sense that we are not yet enough and assume that until we are, we cannot truly belong. We assume that we must become a better version of ourselves. But we're never quite enough in this relentless pursuit of belonging we are lost to a never-ending self-improvement. Might we have been looking out there when all along it had been within? Might we already be the version we'd been seeking? Beyond the endless game of fixing what is seemingly broken, there exists a profound experience of knowing that there is no one to fix it, that we are enough as we are, and that we belong without condition. Yet we cannot seek and hope to find this. It is nature, it's as its nature is to find us and to consume us, with, I love this, with no doubt. Right? It consumes us by the lack or the absence of doubt. No one can teach us this. We cannot learn this. In a moment of surrender, in a moment of not seeking, the experience can be renowned. Nothing changes, but everything is somehow different. And then everything begins its transformation, liberation, peace, and all that follows is the work of inner view. Inner view. So the way we see ourselves, right? As lacking or enough. So, and I think that lacking drives a lot of restlessness and worry. Yeah. So... In the Dharma, in the teachings from the Buddha, I already talked about the simile of the pond. It's one way he talks about. And so it's helpful to think about what are the conditions that contribute to restlessness and worry? And what are the things that lead to the stilling of it? So, you know, one thing that can be helpful also is to go back to the sense of the obvious and subtle manifestations So the obvious, right, are the sense of agitation, the restlessness, the scatteredness, you know, hard to settle, focus, losing, distracting, dropping our keys, you know. And the more subtle is the mind slipping into thought, you know, just kind of uh, drifting off, right, and getting lost in thought. Conditions for restlessness are really unwise attention to the thinking, Not recognizing, drifting off, right? Not staying mindful of the thoughts, kind of letting them lead us instead of our being aware as we're thinking. Sometimes we actually, a lot of times, I think, you know, there's a belief that thinking itself will lead to wisdom. If I just think about this enough, if I just figure it out. But this is not the kind of the bu- wisdom the Buddha was teaching us about. This is not what he was encouraging. This analytical, sort of philosophical, or you know, um, kind of uh, uh, conceptual thinking is not the wisdom the Buddha is pointing us toward. The wisdom that Buddha is pointing us to is about seeing causes and conditions, or the conditioned nature, and and how. Will, will, energy leads to causing harm to self and others, right? What way we are with our experience will lead to more experience. Another thing is like a lot of provocative talk. You know, a lot of excessive discussion and rumination with others can be dwelling on past unskillful actions, actually. So just thinking over and over and over about what... What we did and what we didn't do, and how embarrassing it was, or, you know, that is going to stir up the waters of the mind, right? Like that pond. So when we work with restlessness, it's actually um, one of those qualities where um, you want a wide (laughs) berth. If you think about when you feel restless, if you think about trying to tighten in and make yourself sit still, my experience of my body is that energy gets more pronounced. It's like, you know, like it's like a pressure cooker. So in the mind, you know, and with yourself, it's sort of like broadening, opening up around it, letting the ball have a huge room to bounce in, right? That makes sense. It's real small. It's got, Quick things to bounce against. Bigger space, it's going to slow down, right? There's more, more room. Um, you know, and again, this idea of non-identification, right? It's it's a, an experience. It's an energy. It's not who I am. It doesn't define me. It's an experience that comes and goes. So it's really helpful to watch yourself and how you're relating to it. Um, and let's see. Um, another significant thing is striving. When we're, we're trying too hard, we're trying too hard to have a certain experience or putting too much energy into our meditation practice, right? It can build up, or, or we're not doing enough walking. Meditation to balance out our sitting meditation if we're you know doing more prolonged practice. Um, you know, pent-up feelings like desire and aversion actually can lead to a feeling of restless and worry. So kind of paying attention. You know I, in some ways, I feel like so much of our practice is, is about keeping ourselves in balance. You know, and there's a teacher, Ajahn Chah, um, and he used to kind of say to, you know, his students, like, okay, they're all walking down the road, and he goes to this guy, go left, go left, go left, right? And so then the person on the right starts, to oh, I better go. No, 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 you go right, you go right, you go right, you're right. It's like... We we need to be attending to our own self, our own practice. And what somebody else needs to be doing at one moment is not necessarily what we need to be doing at one moment. There's not always the same answer. So even if we've been told to be go left at one point, actually, maybe this time we really need to go right. So we have to attend to the energies in the body, the mind, the heart. Are we, you know... Getting enough exercise, right? For example, did we have too much caffeine, right? These can also contribute, right? As well as the kind of conversations in the way that we're mindful or not. Another thing that can trigger restlessness is pain and worry. So it's important to kind of know how to work wisely with physical discomfort in meditation and um, kind of... you know, if you're in pain and you start to get really restless, it can be really important to just kind of re um, reset your posture, get an extra pillow, do what you need to do, you know, or stand up. You can stand up to meditate if that is easier for you, um, if the, the energy is just too much. So, how was that? Any questions? Too much? Not enough? So then, here's a question. Normally, right now, what I would do is to go into a guided meditation practice, but I actually just had the thought, maybe it'd be better to put you in two small groups and let you talk a little bit first. Great, I see heads nodding. So, if we could, you know, it's usually kind of good to have three or four, so maybe two groups. Um, So if you want to just uh, turn your chairs and um, connect... Introduce yourselves, maybe say if you've been to IMC before or been coming a long time or whatever you want to say. And then I'll give you uh, more instructions in about a minute or two. Okay. You ready for the question? All right. So um, the fir- I have two questions. We'll start with one. We'll see how it goes. Um, what I'd like you to do is give each person like a minute to a minute and a half to answer the question. Um, so one person is speaking. Three, three or two people are listening. Um, while the person just gets to kind of talk about the role that restlessness and worry have in their life just how, do, how does it show up for you how does it affect things for you you know how does it operate for you right so that's the start so um, you guys should probably take more like a good full two minutes each because they have a group of four you guys and I'll be tuning in so if you need extra time we'll just either not do the second question or we'll figure it out okay so maybe the person is there anybody in your group that wants to start first raise your hand if somebody knows they great do you guys have gr- oh Sage you got to start they pointed at you so
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: are you okay starting sure. okay so great so Julie will start and Sage will start and then just go the next person to your left would follow you all right, please begin. What beliefs do you have that support your worry? What beliefs, opinions, views, stories are supporting your worry? Pick two or more things that you want to share. When we come back together from the reflections in your group, just as a group, you can all pick one or you can come up with two together, whatever you want to do. But just give some thought to what was useful about this, what came up, you know, um, and and then be hopefully somebody will be willing to share with the rest of us. So just take a, a minute or two to to brainstorm. If there's anything you could do that to share. So I invite I invite a few shares about sort of your takeaways. Um, what stood out for you and it doesn't have to be that your group agreed for it, with it. It just was a way to get you to think and share. So if anybody's willing to pick up a mic. Are you okay? No, I'm
1: good,
0: I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> um, is it on, Susan? Probably not. There it is. I it's hear quite it. Light, thank it's you,
2: sweet light.
1: So I think what well, we came—we up talked about um, antidotes to worry.
0: Nice. Do you want to share some of those antidotes? Can I share yours? Yeah, sure. So, if, like, I and Julie
1: talk about, uh, you know, what and. <laughs> What to I should be a, an entertainer, and then I'll know how to use this. Um, <laughs> wh- like not being able to sleep and what to do when you wake up in the middle of the night and other than take CBD, which is one thing, um, putting paper and pencil next to your bed so you can write it down. And one of the things that I used to do when I worked um, – If I would wake up in the middle of the night, I would be thinking, I'm worrying about this problem. And finally, I got to the point where I decided that if I could do something about it, I would get up and do it. And if not, I would write it down and go back to sleep.
0: Nice. Beautiful.
1: we all kind of talked a little bit about that kind of
0: thing. Beautiful, Susan. Beautiful. Your your group want to offer one? don't no solutions. You don't, you, you don't <laughs> but you gotta use a mic. Sage, you had something you wanted to share.
2: The one thing that really um, stuck out to me as part of our discussion is like, we all talked about a kind of like pervasive sense of uh, worry and restlessness going throughout life. Um, and I think all three of us also talked about moments of like refuge um, and being able to like take stock of like what's actually going on and I, I think the takeaway for me there is like external conditions don't matter so much as the ability to like draw on like mm. Buddha nature or like whatever you want to call it
0: great so that the, the pausing in the middle of the storm can help you find the eye of the storm the, the calm in the middle of it. Is that right? Yes. Thanks. Great. Jane, do you want to take it? i add a
4: slide. Uh, um, I was going to say, at least the, the angle I came from was, uh, for the most part, a lot of my restlessness worries caught up with things that I think are practical worries, which... On one level, are true. I have genuine, you know, really difficult situations going on. But I've had glimpses, be it in retreats or just Sunday sits or whatever, where I've glimpsed to the other side. I've gotten to a place of equanimity, no restlessness, and I've had raging problems. (laughs) I'm still there, but I have this calm, like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. I need to be worrying. I am not, right? Mm -hmm. So I've had glimpses of, Unhooking, you know, the condition from the state. Right? Usually, I think, oh yeah, I should be worrying because I'm plenty to worry about. Yes, you know, it, it feels justified and right when it's going on. <laughs> but you know, I've seen glimps. You know, not that many, but many glimpses where, regardless of what the outer state is, you know, I've been in a relatively uh, peaceful state. So, Beautiful,
0: Jay. Yeah. Thank you.
2: I was just saying that um, generally worrying seems to be kind of like a head thing, right? Yeah. And for me, I don't necessarily have a default worrying state, but stuff will have to start to happen in my body. Like mm-hmm. I start to get a touch somewhere, or it gets really tense over here, and that becomes my indicator to start to become aware of there's something somewhere Beautiful. that is getting your attention. It hasn't mm-hmm. gotten into your conscious brain yet, but mm-hmm. maybe you want to help it kind of arise so that you can look at it. Right. Yeah. And, um, I connect that also to my practice when I'm, when I'm meditating, I actually am because I, I, Put attention on the parts of my body that are currently trying to tell me something, mm-hmm. and just try to calm them down a little bit. Mm. But generally, it's—I I think one can't forget the role of the body yeah. in this.
0: Absolutely. Because
2: generally, the worrying part tends to have be happening mostly up here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. For this. Yeah. So just, just give yourself a quiet minute and see if anything else pops up that wants to be named or shared. Um, just uh, There's something that can be reinforcing about insight or reflections if you speak them. So just, uh, you know, if there's something there that's valuable to you that wants to be spoken, even if you've already spoken, feel free to pick up the mic.
3: Um, I think one thing I'm reflecting on is uh, kind of like uh, worry and restlessness around um, like work and and not really or just a typical day. I I think uh, is a theme that we all talked about in our group of um, contributing on a typical day and not knowing if we're doing good enough.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's so important. There's like, um, what do you believe about yourself or what you're supposed to be doing that contributes to restlessness, and worry? Like, I heard the word perfection or being good enough. Right? that it's not okay to make mistakes, or you know, that it's it's not productive to be quiet and still and not do anything for periods of time. You know, these are all beliefs that can. Um, impact the experience. Also what you're doing for work. You know, sometimes what you have to be doing is is busy, restless worry work in a way. And so by doing that work, you start to condition that energy in your body. You know, does that make sense, Stephen? And is that speaking to what you're talking about? I also heard you say Um, you know, it's okay for me to say this, that, you know, we need to be productive, right? Did you say something about that also? Like, it's good to... to
3: I I found the whole conversation very... uh, I feel very harmonious after having the conversation because I I feel like, Mm. yes, there is that urge. Are we we doing that? But then um, while I was sitting and talking with them, I just was thinking about... um, it's just human nature.
0: Yeah.
3: And uh, it didn't feel like that big of a deal.
0: Oh, oh, I love it.
3: So I feel like I have some insight around, uh, you know, I mean, even if you're unemployed or, or going through, it, it just, yeah, I, yeah.
4: hmm Yeah.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you. So... Shall we do a guided raft meditation? Great. So to start, I'll walk you through the raft pro- process, which is R recognize, A allow, F feel it, T tease it apart, and and the last double T is trust. So I'll I'll guide you through that, but that's the step by step. It's sort of it's just walking through a, a you know mindfulness, really, um, a way to help yourself with it. And at any point in the process, you may be done. Whatever you identify, it may resolve, and you just don't have a lot more to think about, and that's fine. So um, don't feel like you have to make things up or or figure things out. Right. So. Um, so the, the way we'll start is I'm going to drop in a question or invite you to drop in a question into your being and just open up to see what, what happens. What, what kind of a response do you get? And the practice, the invitation is to connect with something connected to restlessness and worry in your experience But, you know, you don't have to... If if something else comes up, it's okay to work with that too. Um, But please make sure whatever you choose to practice with is not something that will be overwhelming. That's kind of too big for you to do in this setting or at this time. And so look for something that's, you know, okay. Okay to be with. And... Um, And if you think it's going to be okay and it turns out not to be, it's okay to stop. It's okay to stand up. It's okay to restart, right? So giving yourself permission to not be trapped in some practice and pushing yourself through something. But keep tuning in to what's happening for you, okay? So here's here's the little question to drop in. It's kind of a funny question in a way. What, what should I be worried about right now? <laughs> what should I be worried about right now? So just let, let some things bubble up and, like, notice what's there and see if there's something that, that, again, feels right size that you might be able to recognize and allow and feel, right? Right? I'll just give you about a minute of silence to kind of settle and bring to mind whatever this thing is that you you quote-unquote should be worrying about right now. So the first part of the practice is this recognition. And I imagine this is a little bit like um, being able to stop and acknowledge something or a person or a situation. Like being able to turn toward it and name it in some way. Like, okay, I recognize... This, this situation, this feeling, this fear. Sort of in a way that it knows it's being seen. It's the turning toward. So much of, you know, the difficulties in life we leave, even some of the joys kind of shove off to the side. Right? And so, what is it to turn t- right toward it? And as you name it and recognize it, and it, and you can sense it, feel seen. We move to A, which is the invitation to see if we can allow it to be in our presence. Just noticing if there is permission an ability to allow it to exist. It's already here. Can we give it some space? Not for it, not against it, just kind of allowing. And if that feels impossible, and there's a lot of resistance, recognize the resistance Oh, okay, the resistance is more dominant right now, not wanting this. So name the resistance and then shift and focus on the resistance and allowing it to be there. And maybe you can't be completely allowing, but is there enough allowance to move? and follow whatever this is into the body to sort of say, okay, this is the idea, this is the experience, this is the thing I'm recognizing. Now, can I follow the vibrations into the body and feel where this situation lives in my body, how it affects my body, And you may be a very uh, sensory, somatic person, so a very strong sense of the sensations, the pressure, the spaciousness, or the vibratory. And you also might be more of a, a, a visual person. So it might be more like, oh, it feels big, it's black, it has a color, it has a shape in whatever way you can find it and feel it and describe it and be with it so find and feel in the body in whatever way your mind can find and feel it but it's connected to your direct experience it's not a conceptual thing in the body it's a felt thing Being curious, noticing how does it respond to being felt? And how am I feeling it? You know, there's this energy of firmness or forcefulness, and then there's an energy of receptivity. So if we're too forceful, it's like a string that's too tight on a harp and it doesn't really sing. And if we're overly slack, it doesn't really even vibrate. So finding that right way of feeling, tuning in, and being with. At some point, whenever you're ready... ...we'll move to the teasing apart. And there's no rush here. You take your time or you move on, whatever you're ready for. For me, when we move to teasing apart, I find it very useful to imagine a very large round table... your table could be small too if you want it to be small with as many chairs as are needed as space as big as it needs to be and we want to invite each thing connected to this whatever we're recognizing the thing itself what we've named to have a seat And then if we had resistance, we could let that have a seat at this table too. If we connected with sadness or other emotions, we can invite the emotions to have their own seat at the table. And the chairs can be relative to the weight or size or need of each piece our experience is a composite many things coming together memories, expectations, fears hopes, beliefs so without digging more like just softening And allowing whatever pieces are clear to you to have a seat. Notice if you need more space in your room, allowing a bigger perspective, more distance, sort of looking over all of this. And as you see it, what stands out to you? What are you noticing? One practitioner recently said to me, I realized the things that had the biggest seat at the table were really from her past, her memories, her history. And the thing that she named that was going on was really quite small and insignificant in relationship to the history. That all that past energy and karma was getting transferred onto what's happening here and now. And you can continue, or if you're ready, the next part of the practice is to connect with a feeling of trust. What does trust feel like? For me, there's a sense of letting go. There's nothing to protect. I feel like I can trust mindfulness, wisdom, Sometimes, if it's a difficult thing, I trust that it will change. So what about the situation or your practice can help you find a sense of trust in relationship to what's going on for you? There's something quite nourishing about resting in this way. So if you can connect with a little more ease, a little bit more sense of letting go, a little more understanding that, wow, this is really not me. This is, doesn't define me. This is about much more than just me. It's a history, it's a story, it's imagination. And like, like you would lay back on a cozy raft in a warm body of water on a calm day with a warm sun. Let's see if you can allow yourself to be nourished. So we start with recognizing and then we invite ourselves to allow the experience to be there. It's already here. We feel it in our body. We move out of conceptual into the direct experience. And then we can return to sort of the whole thing and try and Imagine letting each part have its own place, teasing it apart. And if it's accessible, moving into a space of trusting, trusting awareness, trusting the practice, trusting whatever insights have been revealed. This is, you know, this raft practice is a way to be with restlessness and worry without trying to fix it, right? Just to be with it, see it for what it is, it's for anything really, the raft works. There's a lot of stillness here, so I hesitate to keep talking, you know. But... Um, If someone wants to share or ask a question, this is a good time to do it. If not, we can stay kind of stillness and I'll just say a few more things as we come to a close. But if there's any area you're confused about with the practice or anything that like stood out to you about how it was to practice in this way, Happy to hear from you. Great, thank you, Gus.
2: It's not going to happen sequentially very quickly. Mm-hmm. It happens over time. It just, the, how long does it take
0: till you
2: get to recognize, to recognize you for a while? Yeah. And so on
0: and so forth. Right? Beautiful. Yeah. yeah, so there's no time crunch here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. And it doesn't have to go. You know, it, it might just be enough. Just recognizing sometimes is all we can do or all that's needed. Go ahead, Julie. Um, I'd say that I've been meditating off and on for, I don't know, 15 years. I've never gotten intentionally gotten past allow, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe I have gone through all of these, but not with intention. Um, I've, I've always been trained or I believe that you're supposed to recognize it, and like you were just saying, let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been skipping steps. This is like mind-blowing to me. Mm. So I just really appreciate this. Mm. Yeah, so, you know, there is a lot of emphasis on just kind of allowing, but if something is stuck, if something keeps coming up, there's it's asking to be understood, to be seen, there's a message, there's something there. So there's a real delicate balance between kind of meeting, seeing and meeting what's happening, allowing it space. And really, in a way, can we do this that it, its own unfolding happens? I just had this image of, you know, the, the tea that you put in the water that's like a flower. You know, you don't pull the leaves apart, the petals apart. You've got to let it open, like the story of somebody trying to help the butterfly out of a cocoon. So there is this process of whole, sustaining attention long enough and allowing something to unfold and, and to not get re with it um, and also to like see it with wonder. Like, oh, wow, there's all these components. And they're, maybe they're shy. Maybe some of the pieces don't stand out right away. Maybe it takes a while for them to be willing. Maybe you just know there's something else, but you don't know what it is, so you just have a chair for it, right? So there is a balance with this overdoing and underdoing. Yeah. Thank you so much. Anybody else want to... Okay. So I'll just... um, Share just a couple little quickie things. It can be helpful to reflect on your purpose for practice. Inspire and support continuing to practice. What's the purpose of recognizing the hindrances for you? You know, not just to get rid of them, but to learn, to see. Notice... When restlessness and worry is not present. is is not present. Notice when it's not there too. And that's something to be equally curious about. What are the conditions that supported your being at ease? And I said this in the meditation, but with the trust part, right, calm and tranquility can be so nourishing. So deeply nourishing. And it's very easy to dismiss them. Because there's something more important I need to worry about or do. So be curious about the moments and and spaces where there is calm, tranquility, ease, trust, faith. And let it, let it too unfold. Like you know, open up its blossoms, be nourished by it. So, homework invitations, the the handouts aren't numbered in the order we're using them, but you know, it's all there, and they're also on um, Audio Dharma. They're they're posted there as well. This week, kind of. The invitation is to experiment with the ways you can live your life that lessen restlessness and worry from arising. You know? What helps lessen it? It might be how you're talking to yourself. It might be, you know, how much doom-scrolling you do. And Look at things like exercise, sleep, caffeine, nutrition, right? And living an ethical life. That's huge. But what what can you find? What can you discover about what leads to more ease? Less restlessness and less worry. Thank you for your practice. May it be a benefit for many beings everywhere.